every year when we get to this time of year, we call it Thank Offering Sunday. And last Sunday was the first one, and this Sunday is the second one. And we, we take a, a ministry that we love. It can be a missionary. It can be one in the area here like Young Life or Youth for Christ or any of those kind of things. And we just decide to bless them. And so on those two Sundays, we give to them without them knowing, and then we just send a blessing to them. And uh, we have been in a phenomenal encouragement as a church uh, to all kinds of different ministries over the years. And they will tell you, uh, we don't hear this enough, but one of the churches they love to come to, and one of the churches they really appreciate is Northview Community Church. And I, I get words all the time, Steve, we love your church. That is one of the most generous giving. We feel loved when we go there. And so that, it, this is really a good thing that the Lord has done over the years. And uh, that's why we want to keep it going. So we're in the midst of thanks offering. This year, the ministry uh, we're supporting or blessing is step-by-step. Now, what step-by-step is, is um, it's an assisting ministry. So in this area, one of the ministries we support is CareNet. And what CareNet does is when gals get into crisis pregnancies and are not sure what to do and are contemplating abortion and all those kind of things, they go to CareNet and then they give them ultrasounds and Almost 95% of the time, the woman realizes, oh, that's a baby. That's not a blob, that's a baby. And all of a sudden, the gal makes the very difficult choice, sometimes in in steep opposition uh, to the people around her, to keep that baby. Well, when she does that, those of us know who had children, uh, keeping a baby is not a one-day choice, right? That's That's a pretty long commitment, and it's often messy, and it's often involved with a lot of trauma, and uh, it's not easy uh, for a lot of these families who decide to do that. And so step-by-step step is a ministry that comes alongside these families and then helps them. And uh, one of the ways they help them is they, they have uh, people they can counsel with. They have all those sort of things. But once a year, what they do during the holidays, the hardest time for a, a single mom uh, with a baby is the holidays. You can imagine, Right. Uh, you know how hard it is just with us with intact families, let alone uh, being single. You're trying to work. You've got a baby. You don't know how to make ends meet. And then what about gifts and that kind of stuff? So step-by-step step, uh, throws a banquet, and this room will be uh, redone with tables and banquet, and we'll serve them a meal, and we'll bless them. They can take family pictures together. The kids can take a picture with Santa. Uh, the Christmas story will be read. There's a live nativity scene. Uh, all that kind of stuff will roll out. And it's just going to be a spectacular day. Many of you have already volunteered. If you want to and you haven't yet, and you say, hey, uh, I didn't realize it was coming up that fast. I'd still like to help. Would you stand up, honey, so they know who you are? This is my wife, Pam. She loves standing up in front of people. Okay, But you can contact her and just say, hey, is there still a place for me to help? And she'd be glad to uh, plug you in on that. So the question I would like to ask off of what I've just said this morning as we talk about that, why do we do stuff like this? You ever thought about that? I mean, what's behind that? Why why do that? Why overextend ourselves? Why go through all the details, uh, all the crush, all the extra? Um, Especially when it comes to the idea of being sacrificial. 
right? It's okay if you're flush and you got a lot of money. Oh, okay, well, you know. But a lot of us aren't flush, <laughs> okay? And, and so the giving is, and the time commitments and stuff are sacrificial. And so it's like, wow, why, why do we do that? Why extend ourselves for the sake of others? And I want, to, I want to walk us through that this morning. I know we know the answers to this, right? Or at least most of us do. I know some of us do this easier than others of us. For some of us, uh, generosity, we roll out of bed doing it, and, and it's something the Lord's always had, His thumbprint on our life. For others, this is a real struggle. So we're not all at the same place or level or even heart attitude about this topic in the room this morning. We, we come at it from different ways but I'd like to, um, we've been in this series called Bearing Fruit, and I would like to look at the topic this morning of sacrificial generosity, the sake of going beyond the call of duty for the sake of others, and why, why do we do that? I'd like to uh, start with, <coughs> excuse me, Scripture, if you've got your Bibles, take and uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, all right? The passage is too big to put on the screen, so if you've got your Bible or your iPad or your phone or whatever you use these days, you might actually have a Bible. Wouldn't that be trippy? And uh, take a look there. Paul is talking to um, the Corinthian church, and he's talking to the Corinthian church about the Macedonian church. So if you know Greece, uh, Corinth would be the south end of the peninsula, and then Macedonia would be the top northern end. And so he's talking about their northern neighbors to them, all right? And he says this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. He's talking about this exceptional way that the Macedonian churches have responded. He says, Out of their most severe trial. In other words, it wasn't going well for them. The Macedonian churches at this point were under persecution. And it wasn't... Uh, comfortable or easy to be a Christian at that point for them. He says, Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. In other words, they weren't a cash flush group of churches either. Okay? They were barely making it themselves. You would get a good picture of this if you ever go to a third world country and you walk in and they make tortillas and stuff for you, and you think, oh, how nice, and you realize that was their month income for food. All right? That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. It says, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, this is Paul, that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. In other words, Paul didn't have to prod them or coach them in this. Um, he didn't even bring up the idea. They came up with it on their own. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. The service we're talking about there is that there was an offering being collected throughout the churches in Asia and Greece for the saints in Jerusalem because there had been a famine in Jerusalem and the, the Jerusalem church had come under persecution. So they were taking up an offering that they were going to bring to the Jerusalem church to help the Jerusalem church. That's the service of the saints they're talking about. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And I want to suggest to you that's a, a very important order there. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's order. 
says this, out of their most severe trial, in other words, these were people themselves who could have used an offering. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up to rich generosity. And I want to say something here. We think if we have what we want, then we can have joy. The Bible talks about when we have nothing, that's when the joy of the Lord fills us. All right? And as you go through the holiday season and you look at the Lexus ads and you look at all the things that come on TV and you're reminded of all the things that you don't have, one of the things that God will continually remind you of is all the things you do have. I had a bunch of people this morning bounce me and say, hey, purple shirt. I said, yeah, I'm a son of the king. Royal colors. Okay? And I know that's humorous, and, but there's truth to that. If you remember who you are in Jesus, you have joy. And uh, this passage points out that they had joy, and even in their poverty, it welled up to generosity for other people. In other words, instead of why, it was why not. And they were the ones that were self-motivated to pitch in and do their part for what was taking place for other people. So let's pray this morning. Fathers, we come, I know a lot of people are in different places. And Lord, one of the holidays in our country now that's just getting blown by is Thanksgiving. Uh, One, I think, because it's a Christian holiday. And two, because it goes back to the beginning and the roots of our country. But Lord, it points to you. You have a sacrificial giving heart. And we are enormously blessed. And we have benefited greatly because of your sacrificial giving of your son. And Lord, we want to replicate that. We know that that's something that is supposed to be part of our repertoire as believers. And Lord, it has been something that you have helped us have kind of a signature imprint with in this church, and we want to grow in it, and we ask that you would help us think it through again. I know the content will be the same. I know even some of the verses will be the same, maybe even some of the stories, but remind us how important it is to you, and we ask for that grace in your name. Amen. Okay, so the question, why do we do this? Well, because we're following our leader, right? You ever play the game when your kid follow the leader, right? And the goal was to mimic what the leader was doing and that kind of stuff. That's um, what we're doing. Paul says uh, further in that passage, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. And you have to understand in this, the Corinthian church was the church that had it all. They were the rich church. They were the church that had not only wealth, but they had a lot of spiritual gifts, but they also had a lot of chaos and internal um, disruption. Fights would be a better word to put it. Okay, And and so they were a cantankerous, ornery group that had a lot of skill and a lot of gifts and a lot of wealth. And Paul's saying, you know, I just want to compare you to the Macedonian churches. They don't have any gifts and they don't have a lot of stuff, but look at what they've done. Are you lining up with them? So Paul's using this a little bit to get the Corinthians to look at themselves and go, maybe we should adjust a little bit, right? And uh, so he says, I'm not commanding you. This is to the Corinthian church, but I want to test your sincerity by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Right? And that is the eternal truth right there, that through 
His poverty, we have become rich. How have we become rich? If you have been born again into the Spirit of Jesus Christ, you have eternity. You become incredibly rich. You're an heir of the kingdom. And we are kings and queens and sons and daughters. It can never be lost. It can never be taken away. It can never be robbed. It can never be corroded. It can never rust out. It can never fall apart like all the stuff in your garage does. Okay? We had to replace the uh, garbage disposal in our sink last week because Pam goes, honey, where's all this water coming from? Drip, drip, right? You ever do that? Okay? You won't have to worry about that in heaven. Okay? It's not going to fall apart. And so we're enormously rich. And because we're enormously rich, then we can look at it on this level quite differently than the average person does. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I don't have it up here, but I want to show you uh, when we're talking about Jesus, where it says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Um, Look at Philippians chapter 2. It reads like this. I'm reading out of the NIV. Your attitude, in other words, our attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was his attitude? Who, being in the very nature God, in other words, as high as you can go, as good as you can get, he had it. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The better word there would be to hang on to. Okay? But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen, right? This is the way that Jesus led. One of the things that you have to understand when you're reading the New Testament and you're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you're listening to Paul extol, and a lot of people say, hey, I like the four Gospels that I don't like Paul. Paul met the resurrected Christ and was designated apostle by Jesus Christ himself. Can't throw that out. But when you look at him, when you, when you see Jesus, one of the things that you have to understand is he was role modeling for us. He knows we don't like submission. He knows we want to be in power. He knows that we want control. He knows that um, yielding isn't our natural bent. And so he modeled for us what it's supposed to look like. And he gave up all the stuff that was his privilege so that he could serve us. And therefore, we're to follow uh, in those steps like he has taught us. And so Jesus believed that his father's plan was worth doing for the sake of others. Think about that. Stop for a second. Jesus believed his father's plan was worth doing for the sake of others. There is a place where you can act like you're doing the Christian life, but you're not doing the Christian life. And usually how you know is the cost factor. Is it costing you anything? Is it inconveniencing you in any way? Or are you just living very comfortably and you come to church and it never really interferes with your agenda. This is the way Jesus led. And if we're following him, we must also. 
Reason number two, uh, our forefathers in the faith led this way. Okay, if you read through the scriptures, you read through Acts, you read through, all of those are stories about how they followed after and they all tell us the same thing. Uh, if you look at the book of James chapter 2, it says that um, religion here is that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and two, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Most of the time we know about the being polluted by the world part, and that's the major battle we face all the time. But one of the things we don't think about is orphan and widows. God's got a huge heart for orphans and widows. The, the distressed ones, the alien, the powerless ones, the ones who have no options, who can't feed themselves, who don't have resources, who don't know how to take care of themselves. He's got a big heart for it. You can read it all through. Matter of fact, uh, you read in the Old Testament, God's got a phenomenal heart for people in this it says, don't you mess with them because you mess with them. Their cries will come up to me and I will hear them and I will bring them swift justice. And so uh, James says, pure religion is to take care of widows and orphans and to keep yourself uh, from being polluted by the world. God's special attention is on the orphans and the widows. So why do step by step? Well, that's his target group. <laughs> and that, that's not too difficult a logic, right? That's his target group. All right. Let's look at this battle between... Uh, let's just get into it, okay? The battle between stingy and generous. All right? Let's, let's just look at it. What, what does it look like? Now, to do this, um, I want to take you to 1 Samuel. All right? And the, this is up there. That's all that's on the board. I'll put something up there later. But I want to read a story to you. This is a story in the Old Testament. Many of you know this story. Uh, you've probably read it before. And, uh, but some of you, it may be new to you. You might not have heard it. And so we'll, we'll read it. This is like, you know, story time here. So I'll read a story. We'll go along. But we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And this is the story of David, Nabal, and Abigail. All right? So let's read together. Now Samuel the prophet died. And all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. And then David moved down into the desert of Maon, and a certain man of Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. Note that's the tagline for him. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. And his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. All right? So you get this sense right away. Now, in this case... The gal is awesome. The guy's a curmudgeon, all right? That has never, ever happened in history before other than this story. <laughs> I want you to know that, all right? But the, the gal is gracious and generous and beautiful. The guy's a curmudgeon and stingy. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you. Good health to you and your household, and good to all that is yours. In other words, blessing to you, brother. Now I hear that it is sheep-shearing time, and when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Uh, out in the desert, there was uh, bandits, 
and thieves and wolves and all kinds of stuff. And David's men, when they settled in this area, all of a sudden peace came to that area and there was incredible prosperity. So a big part of the story is that Nabal prospered greatly because of the kindness and protection of David, right? And so David's saying, hey, it's, it's festival, it's holiday time, like we'd understand it. Is, could you give us something to bless my men for just being kind to you? When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, now listen to this reply. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? What a worthless, lousy band of ruffians out in the wilderness. Why should I share my stuff with them? Now understand, Nabal's smart enough to know he's a businessman. He understands he's profited greatly from David's protection. Okay? What's at the heart here is not that he doesn't know who David is. What's at the heart here is he's stingy. He wants to keep it for himself. And so when David comes, and really what David was asking for was not much. It was just, hey, could you feed our men a feast? And, you know, very little compared to what Nabal had gained. Nabal comes up to this uh, with this, this argument. David's men turned around, it says in verse 12, and, and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. And about 400 men went, went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Not good. Okay? David's ticked. Like, first of all, why, uh, where do you get off answering me like that? And second of all, where do you get off being stingy like that? Okay, now this is a pretty severe response, right? David uh, is not seeing, well, he, we would say he's seeing red, okay? And, uh, and then if you go to verse 14, one of the servants then ran, one of Nabal's servants ran and went to his wife Abigail. And, and, and it says here, uh, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at him. Okay, so we don't have the whole story in here. We have a little clip of what it says, but obviously Nabal was saying a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes. You know how we do that, right? We make some kind of clever reply and be back and we grumble, 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 complain, right? And we, we throw slurs and all that kind of stuff. And apparently there was a lot more that Nabal said because this servant comes back and tells Abigail he was hurtling slurs at David's men, which tells you why David got ticked okay, when he heard what he actually said about him. Yet these men were very good to us. They didn't mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Everything was there. Night and day they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over, see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household, i.e. you and me too as I'm telling you the story. Eh? He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Nabal was just mean, stubborn, strong, mean, stingy, hard-hearted, put the adjectives together, right? Any of you know somebody like that, right? Can you go back in your past and pull somebody out like that, just no give to them, right? If you went and asked them for a buck, that would be a very dumb thing to do, okay? They're the kind of people that complain all the time, all the church ever wants is my money, okay? That's a great front for a stingy heart, okay? I'll call that out for what it is. Why don't people want to come? Why don't people want to? Easy. They want it for themselves. 
Who's this Jesus? I don't know this Jesus and I don't owe him nothing. I'm not going to give him my money, right? Nabal's like that. It says he was a wicked man that no one could talk to him. You ever, right? There's no discussion. They don't ask you, they tell you, right? No, you don't know anybody like that? You're looking so confused. <laughs> Come on, you know people like that, right? So, so Abigail, Abigail's smart, cool, efficient. She hustles. It says, Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I will follow. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Right? Smart. Because if she had told him, what would he have done? He would have forbid her to go. Right? So this is not an easy place for Abigail because she's caught betwixt and between. If she gets out, she has no idea how David will actually respond. If she doesn't get out, they're all dead. And so this is, this is high drama here. This is, there's not a lot of margin. Can you sense the tension? She's sneaking this quietly, quickly, and fast before her husband even has a clue what's going on. And she's hoping she can avert the catastrophe that that knucklehead of her husband's doesn't even realize is coming upon him. By the way, guys, it's in the Word. I didn't make that up, okay? So I'm talking about Nabal, not about us, okay? Because we are godly men and very cool. All right, so breathe. All right, so she's hustling this. Verse 20, as she came riding on her donkey into the mountain ravine, there, were, there was David and his men descending towards her. So there wasn't, I mean, down they're coming, right? This is all coming really quick. It's like a movie scene here. And she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave him one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool. How would you like to have your name be fool, right? And you go, well, how did, how did a mom name her son fool? Okay, it probably wasn't like that. It was probably like, you know how you pick up nicknames, right? Like uh, in Wisconsin, my cousin's name are Pee Wee and Porky. And, you know, we have all these funny nicknames. And, and he was kind of this guy and he got called, labeled Nabal. And Nabal meant fool, and everybody knew exactly what that meant. And, you know, there were probably some other connotations to the name. And so he became, he was either like his name, and they put the name on him, or he became like the name, right? But Nabal means fool. That's a interesting thing there. But anyway, she says, uh, hear what your servant has to say. Don't pay attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense. For the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty 
for my master, because he fights the Lord's battle. And let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as of a pocket of a sling. And when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him, has appointed him as leader over Israel, my master will not have his conscience, on his conscience, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master's success, remember your servant. That is one smart woman. Okay? That is one smart woman. She knew exactly what the deal is. She said to David, hey, he was a fool. Accept the gift and remember who I am. Okay? In giving that. She had a very generous heart. She had a very open heart. If you look at uh, Nabal up here, okay, what was his attitude? Who is this David? I, I don't know him nothing. He didn't do anything for me. Why, what, how am I obligated to him? He said, why should I take my stuff and give it to him? Abigail, let this, her attitude was this. Let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you, and please forgive your servant's offense. One, a very, very stingy heart and attitude. One, a very gracious and generous heart and attitude. And they stand as pictures, uh, Old Testament pictures, of the New Testament ideas and attitudes that, have been, that are talked about that we run into uh, all the time. What's the point behind that? I've been trying to coach us on something for a long time. And what I want to suggest this morning is that uh, I say about coming to church. Coming to church is not a have to, it's a get to, right? How many times you heard me say that? Said that once or twice, right? The same thing with generosity or giving. Giving to the Lord, giving to others is not a have to, it's a get to. What we don't realize is the phenomenal blessing on the other side of it. Have you ever done something sacrificially generous and given it to somebody and ever said, boy, that was the stupidest thing in the world to do? No. Didn't you come away from it going, wow, I wish I'd done that more, right? Because it changes something in us. And this idea of a have to, we get to, because Jesus got to for us. In other words, he didn't think it was a have to either. His whole attitude was, I get to do this for my father and I get to do this for all the people who will respond. And likewise, sacrificial generosity for us is the same one. In uh, Galatians, it says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, what? A cheerful giver. If you have to, does that create cheerfulness? Well, I suppose I'm happy when answer my prayer. Right? You ever done that? Is there any joy with that? Right? You ever feel your heart shrivel up sometimes? And um, because there is a challenge in there sometimes to, to choose joy. 
to choose, get to, instead of have to. And when we do, we step in the Lord's footsteps because He didn't have to. Okay? It says He chose. Think about that. Think about that. He chose, which means it was a get to. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This goes across the board on a bunch of stuff, not just giving. But let's be honest, it does deal with money, right? And what we say at Northview is, as it says here, each man should decide in your heart, if we all gave what Jesus told us to give, we'd have more than enough. The tithe, we can talk about the tithe and all that sort of thing, and there's all kinds of scriptural precedent for that. But you know what? I would rather go off of what has the Lord told you to give? Because some of you, he'll say this, and some you'll say that. And, and for all of that, it might be different levels of sacrificial giving. One of, the, one of the historic moments in this church's life was when this church almost died. And it was about 10 years ago. Uh, and a whole bunch of people had already left. This church was on life support. It was on fumes. Uh, the pastor had burned out and left and uh, had gone on to try and do another church plant. And there was a, a core group of people. And they all, they all too, if you ask them, had a foot out the door, right? They were being polite and godly and waiting till it crumbled. And then they were going to graciously enter out like, well, we stayed to the bloody end and now we're released. And uh, in the midst of that, and I'm looking at some of you, it's so much fun. They're actually still among us. Um, and in the midst of that, God spoke to that core. And it was an amazing deal. Uh, many of them had dreams. And they'd wake up at night and the couple would wake up together and they'd like, what are you doing? Well, I had this weird dream. And what were you dreaming about? Well, the, the capital funds campaign. Really? Yeah, me too. Wow, that's weird. What was your dream? Well, what was your dream? Well, I, I, the Lord told me I we're supposed to give to it. Really? Me too. Well, I, he even gave me an amount. Oh, he gave me an amount too. What's your amount? No, what's your amount? You know, well, this. Well, that's what he told me too. So in an amazing way, he told them, number one, that they couldn't leave, which really ticked off half of them as they already had a foot out the door. They were, number one, they could not leave. Number two, they had to give to a capital campaign, which made no human sense on the face of the earth because almost all of them said there's not even going to be a church here by fall. Why would we give to a capital campaign to a church that's not even going to exist by fall? And then three, which is really unusual of the Lord to do, he actually gave them amounts they were supposed to give. All right? And as a result of the faith of that group of people, that group agreed to be sacrificially generous. And as a result of that group of people, and it was a small core group of people, you see everything that you see here today. Because they chose to be sacrificially generous. And my life has been deeply blessed by them. Okay? It's been a profound thing. If you're sitting here this morning, you do not realize you are sitting in the midst of a miracle. This church should have never lived. And we have been wonderfully blessed by the Lord. So when you ask these questions, why do we do these things? Why step that way? Why do it, especially 
with the holidays, I want to suggest a couple of things because it expresses some things. Number one, it expresses the heart of God. Number two, it expresses the love of God. Number three, it expresses the hope of God. Think about those things, right? When we operate that way, people see Jesus because normal people don't do that. Normal people keep their stuff for themselves and how they can get ahead. They do not give for other people. And it expresses, I want to take you to wrap up with a story. Go to Genesis chapter 21. Um, this is the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Talked about the orphan and the widow. I want to show you a story where this plays out. Abraham has a son. God speaks to him uh, that he's going to be um, the father of many nations. And, um, and so he looks out and He's not sure how to pull this off. And so they decide to do what we always do humanly. Let's figure out a human way to do this. So Sarah says, you know, I can't have children. So here, take my maidservant, Hagar, have child with him. And then that can be your son. And so they manipulate that the human way. And, um, and so Ishmael is born and Abraham loves Ishmael. But in the process of getting pregnant and in the process of having Ishmael and knowing that uh, Abraham's love for Ishmael was real. Sarah suddenly finds herself on the outside, and worse, Hagar is mocking her. And so uh, Sarah says, you've got to get rid of her. And Abraham's destroyed because he loves Ishmael. But God comes to him and says, you have to let him go and send him out. Um, he's going to become a nation. I'll take care of him. But you're going to have a son my way, okay, instead of your way. Uh, should be a good lesson. Jury rigging, God's plans don't work very well. And so what we find out is she's sent out, and we pick up the, st- the story in verse 15 of Genesis 21. So she's out in the wilderness. Okay, now you're, we're talking Middle East, anywhere from 105 to 135 in the desert. It's hot. There's not a lot of water. They're walking through the desert. They don't know where they're going. They have some water and stuff, but it says when the water in the skin was gone, they doesn't tell us how long, how far they'd gotten, where they were, but they ran out of water. She put the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. Moms, could you relate to that? What a miserable, miserable, terrible, unfortunate, nasty predicament to find yourself in. You can do nothing for your child, so you put him under a bush and you go far enough away because you can't even bear to watch him die. The mom and the boy are are crying. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. Could you identify with that? She wept. How could life have gotten me to this place? God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called out to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? (laughs) Duh. Hello? But he says this, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, and for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, so that she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. How many times have you sacrificially given, and then God opened some other resource that you never knew was there before? There are supernatural resources available to us if we will listen and step in the places where um, he asks us to. 
with step by step, do we know any of these people? No. Are we connected to them? Do, is there any reason we have to reach out? No. Why, why would we reach out to people we don't know? Or why would we try to bless people we don't know? I want to suggest this, if this makes sense to you. And I put it up here. Because when we let others know that God hasn't forgotten them, we remind ourselves that God hasn't forgotten us. Right? When we let others know that God hasn't forgotten them, we remind ourselves that God hasn't forgotten us. That's what makes the holidays the holidays. That's the spirit of the season. As God has done for us, so let us do for others. Never forget that message. It is the core of who we are and what he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, I haven't said anything new this morning, but I hope it's powerful and I hope it's uh, conviction from your heart and a blessing to our hearts to remind ourselves that we're not limited by our resources or our abilities and we are not at a dead end no matter how our life looks right now, uh, no matter what the finances are, we have an eternal supply coming from an eternal Father and an eternal Savior and an eternal Spirit. And Lord, what you ask sometimes is even in the midst of our lack, you ask us to be generous. And we pray as a church you could break that out in this step-by-step. Lord, we don't have the facilities like it used to be where it was held and we don't have all the resources that it used to be. But Lord, one thing we got is heart. And you built that into this church early on. And it has been one of the things that people remark about over and over is the incredible spirit and heart of the people at Northview. And Lord, we, we pray that that would be the touchstone for people uh, with the gospel and, and coming to know your son is that they would see our hearts like your heart and they would see generosity. And we pray for that event on that day, on December 7th, that uh, people would sense our love for them because of your love for them. And we also pray that you would help us with our own battle over generosity and our own battle with being generous towards other people. Lord, may we not be Nabal. May we not be fool. May we be like Abigail and may we be wise and gracious and generous and smart. And we ask for that in your name. Amen.